I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 257 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that is coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, yesterday we had the wolf of Wall Street. Today we have another wolf. This time it is one of the world's leading nutrition experts. Rob Wolf will be joining me here today for a Transformation Tuesday, and he has transformed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. He is a New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Solution and Wired to Eat. Rob Wolf will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And I think that nutrition, eating healthy, staying in shape is a struggle for many dads out there, myself included. And one of the things that really shocked me last year when I started to use social media was the amount of videos that people post of themselves working out. I'm not sure how this is really helpful to anyone unless, of course, you know, you're trying to learn a new exercise or a new style of working out. Uh, but they seem to get a ton of hits and a lot of engagement, so it goes to show what I know. And right up there with that is people posting pictures of their food. Again, I understand, if, of course, if you own a restaurant and you're trying to showcase a signature dish, but just random pics of food is a bit mind-boggling to me. But what I'm getting at here is that I'm sure it doesn't help the people who are struggling to stay in shape to see these constant pictures filling up their social media feed with people with these rock-solid abs and working out all the time. And as a father of four kids, I understand how difficult it can be to get dinner on the table every night for the whole family and make sure that everybody eats everything, let alone make sure it's 100% healthy. And especially with places like Burger King, who offers 10 nuggets for a dollar, it's tempting not to just peel in there in a pinch and hit that drive through with a Finster and walk away with 50 nuggets. So I'm curious to see how Rob Wolf handles all this. He is a former biochemist. He knows his stuff. So let's get into it. Don't forget, tomorrow on the show, we have special operations sniper Nick Irving joining us. And Thursday, one of the greatest NFL players of all time, Hall of Famer Ronnie Lott. And Friday, we have got just a phenomenal Frogman Friday, former Navy SEAL legend, hero, Medal of Honor recipient, Michael Thornton will be joining me here. All right, please, if you can, guys, do me a favor and share this podcast with every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show that celebrates fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks. Family values rule. And every day is Father's Day. Right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with Rob Wolf. I'm Alec Lace. And you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Nothing beats an American flag made in the USA, right? Well, how about an American flag made in the USA by veterans out of duty-worn fatigues from all branches of the military? That is exactly what you get with combat flags. Combat flags are handcrafted from duty-worn fatigues and offer a tangible piece of freedom to the American people. Each flag is accompanied by a professionally designed and printed card that tells the story of service of a soldier, marine, airman, sailor, or coastie who wore the fatigues used to make the flag. They are the real deal, Dad, so what are you waiting for? Visit CombatFlags.com and use the promo code FATHER, and First Class Fatherhood listeners will save 10% off their purchase. Veteran-owned, American-made. CombatFlags.com, promo code FATHER. All right, and joining me now is a first-class father. He is a former research biochemist and the New York Times best-selling author of The Paleo Solution and Wired to Eat. He has helped transform the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. He is one of the world's leading nutrition experts. It's so cool for me to say, Rob Wolf, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Hey, huge honor to be here. Thank you. All right, let's start it like this. How many kids do you have and how old are they? 
two. Uh, their names are Zoe and Sagan, uh, both girls, and seven and five. Wow, okay. You going for the boy or are you all done? No, we're done. We're done. Boys are heathen, so I'm good. I'll, I'll run with daughters. <laughs> if we were younger, we might have tried, but we, we got in the game late, so yeah. yeah. Uh, what type of uh, sports or activities are the girls into? You know, they do a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, they are in a uh, uh, robotics class where they're learning some basic program and, like, Cartesian coordinate stuff. It's really uh, fascinating deal. We are homeschooling the girls, and we're actually only about two and a half, three months into the first go-around of that, and we're really enjoying it, trying to figure out the, the, the challenge is not the time necessary to get them going in the basics, math, reading, spelling, those those types of things. The real challenge, uh, given that both my wife and I work from home, is the other seven hours of the day where, where they previously were in some sort of a, a school, you know, scenario that, that effectively I, I think was just kind of a child care. Um, and and uh, we're fortunate that we have a schedule that at least right now would afford us to do that, but they're um, that's been really interesting, and uh, we've tried to not overschedule them too much. So we we recently moved to New Brunswick, Texas, and we live out on the end of a, a big, long cul-de-sac. And so we tell the girls to go outside and play, and we don't want to see them for an extended period of time. And they do that every day. And so we've uh, uh, they do a little bit of jujitsu and self-defense, uh, some some a computer robotics class. And then um, we just try to get them outside and have them play in a totally unstructured, unsupervised fashion as much as possible. Yeah, get out there and play till the street lights come on. Is about as old school as you can get. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although we have no street lights here, so it, it's uh, <laughs> it would be late. Yeah, and you know, I often wonder, Rob. I know a lot of people have opted to do the homeschooling, and and that's so many parents too. That's one of the reasons why they don't coach their kids in the sports they play, is because sometimes the kids have trouble making that disconnection between coach parent. Is, is that troubling too? Like, do they have a problem with, um, or, or is it troubling when they have to make that connection between parent teacher? Uh, so far, I mean, it hasn't been super. Tough. Um, I, I will say one of our kids is much more uh, potentially studious and academic, and the other one is far more physical. And so just figuring out how to uh, align the incentives in a way where we get everything done, uh, we definitely need different techniques there. But this is also why we, we um, take the, them to the robotic class and swimming events and and things like that so that they can get some exposure to other coaching and subject matter experts uh, so that we are not kind of the the sole input in that regard. So, yeah, we do try to to get some outside input for, for sure. But so far, like, it really hasn't been uh, a huge challenge for the girls to, to receive instruction from us. Very cool. All right, Rob, if you could, just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah, so I am a former research biochemist. I uh, studied in the areas of cancer and autoimmunity research, had some really significant health problems uh, many, many years ago, and uh, ended up kind of stumbling onto this paleo diet concept as a kind of an attempt to deal with my health issues, mainly gut-related and autoimmune. And fortunately for me, it was just a Remarkable transformation, and then around this time, this was 20 years ago, 
I stumbled onto this new workout that was being offered online called CrossFit. And I ended up co-founding the first and fourth affiliates in the world, not down the street, but in the whole world. So I uh, ended up working for CrossFit HQ for a number of years and kind of piggybacked the paleo diet concept onto that. Uh, I guess I've gone on to write a couple of New York Times best-selling books. And right now I sit on the board of directors of a medical clinic in Reno, Nevada, where we do metabolic risk assessment. And uh, several years ago, we wrapped up a pilot study with the Reno Police and Fire Department where we identified folks at high risk for type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease, got them on kind of a low-carb paleo-type diet, modified their sleep and exercise as best we could, and based off the changes in their, their kind of health numbers, it's estimated the pilot study alone saved the city of Reno about $22 million with a 33-to-1 return on investment. And so wow. I've spent the, the intervening almost decade now trying to figure out how to scale that and take this idea out to the masses. Wow, that's incredible, Rob, especially when you see the actual impact that you're making. Uh, and, and that CrossFit is huge now. I've had Jason Khalifa on the show. He's a great father and a big CrossFit nut himself there. So uh, it, it was definitely a world changer for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Will, will never be the same again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And and you've had all these different experiences in your life. How did the experience of becoming a father? How old were you when you first became a dad? And how did becoming a dad kind of change your perspective on life? Man, I guess I was like forty, forty-one. So I was I was uh, late comparatively into the game. And uh, I guess the biggest perceptual shift is that I thought I was busy before, but I was in fact not busy. I was just not very efficient with my time. And so the perceptual shift for me has really been one of what are the things that are important and what am I going to focus on so that I uh, you know, so I, I'm 47, almost 48 now. So you start hitting what is, in theory, middle age at least. And you know, if I really pull the longevity card, I'm probably past uh, you know middle age. But um, you start thinking about a, a little bit about mortality and legacy and things like that, and it really helps to narrow your focus to what is important. Yeah, and, and you've, like I said, you've had a major impact on so many people's lives here, and you're considered one of the world's leading nutrition experts. And as parents, you know, I have four children myself. Uh, you know, we want our kids to eat healthy, but sometimes we have that picky eater. I got one of them. So how do we kind of get those the, the picky eater kids to eat healthy when we're just really at the end, the bottom of the line? We're just trying to get them to eat anything when it comes down to it. So how do we kind of get them eating healthy? Uh, I, I probably will have an unpopular position on this, but, you know, we just – have never really had much junk in the house. Um, kids become picky eaters mainly because they have either uh, super delicious junk food options, which they naturally, not surprisingly, gravitate towards, or you feed them mainly whole unprocessed foods. And uh, you just kind of have to set the benchmark early. And this, you know, in our house, um, we have a little bit of ice cream once in a while. There's actually some low-carb ice creams that are really good. Uh, uh, we grab some sorbet for the girls occasionally, but uh, we kind of do a speed bump method where they have to eat their protein, they have to eat some veggies, they have to eat some real food, and then maybe at the end of that process, uh, they could have something like some ice cream or like some 80% dark chocolate or or something like that. But I mean... Uh, it's kind of, and I know this stuff just gets people angry and riled up and everything, but from my perspective, it's a little bit like the discipline deal where um, folks can either choose to let the inmates run the asylum or you set the, the, the pacing on stuff. And 
we do this in a way that I, I, you know, I don't want my kids to have like disordered eating or anything, but at the same time, we just talk to them. They ask me about my work and my work is involved in trying to help avert the catastrophe that we're all facing of type two diabetes and obesity and neurodegenerative disease. So I'm just very honest with them that when people eat poorly, they tend to not feel well, they tend to get sick, um, they, they could die early. And so we just kind of explain that stuff. And we talk about how if we mainly focus on, you know, the front end of meals uh, being focused around whole good foods, then we can have a little bit of the other stuff and, and kick our heels up. But we've also never used food as a reward system. I don't even call it treats. It's still just food. It's just there's certain consequences to the food that we have access to, and I'm just trying to make my two girls, uh, you, you know, aware of those nuances while also acknowledging that the way that human beings are wired up, it's it's good biology and wiring for kids to want to eat all the the snacky refined foods. Like there, in the in the past, that that would have been a real a real boon, but in our our modern day where you know, kids barely get any physical activity. They go to a soccer match that lasts 25 minutes, and then they're they're deluged with a cupcake Gatorade afterwards when the kids have barely broken a sweat. None of that stuff is really serving us all that well. And and again, I know there's probably going to be people that want to kill me for this stuff, but that's, yeah, no, that's it, my, my take on it, you know. Yeah, that's a great point, Rob, and very well said. And, and what about for the parents out there? I know that this requires a lot of dis- uh, discipline at the onset of it. There's many dads or parents in general that struggle with weight loss and getting themselves in shape. And, and it seems like the dieting is easy when the day is going smooth and everything's on point, but it's those days where the kids have sports or one is sent home early from school or, or something happens at work, they get a flat tire, and it just seems like stopping at McDonald's for that day is a far better option than cooking a healthy meal. So what's the best way to eat healthy in a pinch? Well, let's even take the the fast food story there. So we will hit In-N-Out Burger because I'm super gluten intolerant. Like I'm legitimately, this isn't a fashion thing. Like if I get a gluten exposure, um, you don't want me anywhere near your bathroom. You'll need a priest and an exorcism to to deal with (laughs) what happens to it. So I go to In-N-Out because they have a dedicated gluten-free grill and they do a really good job with that. But we tend to do, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, bunless burgers, lettuce wrapped. Um, We get some French fries because uh, uh, at In-N-Out, they actually are potatoes that they cook and uh, they still use kind of crappy vegetable oil, but it sounds like they're going to shift over to coconut oil here pretty soon, which would actually be a good move. But um, we don't really do soda for the girls. We'll do a little bit of Zevia, which is a stevia sweetened soda, or occasionally I'll let them do something like a, a um, sugar-free country time lemonade, which is something that they have there. But where that meal could have been an absolute train wreck, where you've got the burger, the bun, a milkshake, a soda, um, French fries. We have a lettuce wrap burger with tomatoes. They got to eat all that stuff. Then they get some French fries. And then the, the quote soda that they're drinking is a sugar free soda. And so where that could have been an absolute train wreck of a meal, it's really not that big of a deal in, in that context. And then we might, if they're, if they're super good, on the way home, we may stop and get like a, a small thing of gelato or something like that. And so, it, it, you know, there's just mitigating strategies that folks could do left, right, and center, even if you don't want to do the full, 
you know, gluten-free deal or something like that. Like you get your kids a burger and you, you know, you start teaching them about like, hey, why don't you ditch one half of the bun and then, uh, you, you know, instead try to get them to do iced tea and then you, you do some stevia for the sweetener or you do a, a diet soda. And I know that there will be some purists out there that will freak out about eating their kids diet soda. I don't recommend it every day all the time but also from a legitimate risk analysis story, if we drive with our children anywhere, but we're worried about giving them diet soda once a week, we really have our, our risk analysis misaligned. Like <laughs> the fact that we drive our kids anywhere is the most dangerous thing that we could ever do in our lives. So it, it's kind of <laughs> silly to get wrapped around the axle of the other stuff. Yeah, yeah, great point. And it- All right, Dad, the NFL season is now upon us, and the Major League Baseball season is winding down. There is no better time to take your kids to the ball game, and First Class Fatherhood listeners can save $20 off their tickets on SeatGeek.com by using my promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS. Maybe you want to see a concert or a Broadway show. Save 20 bucks on the tickets on SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code FIRSTCLASS. It's a slam-dunk deal, Dads. SeatGeek.com, promo code FIRSTCLASS. Fatherhood is the best seat in the house. You know, I'm curious to ask you this, Rob, because I wonder how much of this stuff is actually mindset. Like, whereas, have you seen any results where, like, like the food eating healthy could actually be a placebo? Where it's the people that believe because they are eating healthy, they start to lose the weight or get healthier, and the people that don't believe in it uh, don't see the results. Have you ever seen anything on that? Not, not really. I mean, it, it's. Uh, people need to find a why if they are going to make behavior change. The the why for me, I ended up doing diabetic wound care on my father as he lost a toe and then part of his foot, then all of his foot, then all of his leg below his knee. And I committed to myself that there was no way on God's green earth that my kids were ever going to be shackled with doing diabetic wound care on me. And and uh, uh, I, I am by hook or by crook going to live as long and healthy as I can. And then when it looks like that scene isn't going to work anymore, I'm going to go on a, quote, hunting trip, and I'm going to wander out in the woods and get naked in the cold, and that's going to be it. You know, I'm not going to be a burden <laughs> on my family, and that's my gig. That's, that's my baggage. That's my gig. But I am not going to be a burden on my kids, my family, or my society uh, going outwards. And so, the, and I know that kind of deviates a little bit from this, kind of core deal, but if uh, dietary change is hard, it is generally hard, but it can happen at the drop of a hat. Uh, Most people have believed in Santa Claus at some point in their life, and they believed it with every fiber of their being, and then one moment, something changed, and they no longer believed in Santa Claus, And, and virtually everybody has that experience or something similar to it, and with nutrition change, it is a, a framework, a belief system, and usually we have these kind of senses of entitlement, like, well, I deserve this food or, you know, what, whatever, and if that's the framework you create, then you are going to be shackled into that, And but literally the, the amazing thing about that is if you change that perception, your whole approach to eating and food can change, and at the end of the day, Calories matter, but the the challenge is that most of the messaging that we get out of the mainstream, including our our medical gatekeepers, they get really uh, uh, itchy about recommending that we cut out 
what they call whole food groups, which, you know, is basically junk food. These are not food groups. This is the stuff that's killing us and, like, crippling our economy. But they they are are so afraid of creating a, a, quote, disordered eater that they are advocating for a way of eating that, for for the first time in history, our kids are going, are, are on projection to live shorter lives than we will. And, wow. and that it, it, that has never hit, happened in the history of modern civilization. We have an unbroken 200-year run in which the expectation was every generation was taller, smarter, and was going to live longer. And now, and this is some very easy stuff to dig up the research, our kids are shorter, they are dropping in IQ, and they are also on projection to live shorter lives. So this is stuff that you, you know, again, people will kind of hand wring and hem and haw around this stuff. And uh, I I have some great strategies. I've written a couple of books. One of them is called Wired to Eat, and I have all kinds of free material, including a podcast that people can tune into to, to get support and get ideas around this stuff. But it really is something that folks need to dial into to, to understand that, um, we're not doing ourselves, our, our kids, or our society at large a favor by um, being a, a, a main player in this kind of uh, industrial junk food system. Yeah, and I'm glad that there's guys like you on the forefront of this because, you know, I'll definitely include a link in, my, in the description of this podcast episode for your, for your books and for the podcast as well. But uh, it, it's alarming to hear what you're saying there. And it's just like our, our society in general is just this fast food, fast paced uh, society now. And even. I mean, I talk about too. I'm a recovering alcoholic, and just the just the alcohol commercials, the way that we view alcohol, and I drive Uber on the weekends, and I see the mess and the wreck that it causes. Yet we still see all these commercials every time we watch a football game about people celebrating and having a good time with the alcohol, and it's really, I think, uh, destroying so much of our society. It, it, absolutely, yeah. And you know, I, I I guess a little bit on that, like. You, you, you started with this question, and I, I didn't do a good job of kind of fleshing that out, but we have consciously and purposefully not overscheduled our kids. So I can't I'm, – I'm the main cook in the house. I cook about 98% of the meals. But we have consciously – the kids – I forgot to mention the kids do piano once a week, and then they practice daily and stuff like that. But we have consciously – uh, not overscheduled the kids because uh, I don't think it's going to get them anywhere other than than problems, uh, orthopedic overuse issues, lack of sleep, um, just being harried and frenetic. And I know that parents are wanting to do the best for their kids, but I, I think that most people are, are super overscheduled themselves. They have overscheduled their kids, and it's kind of more of a keeping up with the Joneses type deal than it is being really conscious and intentional about what type of childhood you want your kids to have and what type of relationship and interaction you want to have with your kids. And so I I wouldn't call them sacrifices, but we've made choices that are not oftentimes the easiest, but we we are uh, uh, absolutely committed to trying to do the best that we can for the kids under the circumstances that we have. And and a big chunk of that is, is just simply not having them in 18 different sports and and going crazy. We only have two days a week that there is anything scheduled in the afternoon that the kids are are going to. Yeah, I think a lot of that becomes just kind of keeping up with the Joneses type of stuff where we, we put our kids and we follow the society into the way that it's going with all the, you know, the different sports and all that. It just seems like that has exploded too because when I was a kid, 
we we played street ball. We weren't in all these organized leagues with parents and refs and coaches and everyone watching us. We kind of had to make it all up on our own with the rules and settle the the fights and and make you know call all the penalties and stuff like that. So our kids today kind of lose that aspect with all the organized sports. I feel absolutely, yeah, yeah. Just that unstructured play is really powerful for kids learning social stuff and and being creative uh, uh, that that uh, ability to just have downtime and be creative and contemplate and kids being bored where they're like hey I don't know if I want to play stickball anymore well what are we going to do and that boredom can also get kids in trouble they figure out squirrely things like I cannot believe some of the things that my girls present me like I, I you know I was talking about safety before and some of the structures they have built and things like that I'm just like oh my god this is this is uh, they're so lucky they didn't get hurt but also they they were super creative and and then I get to intervene and say hey from a structural perspective we need to think about what you're doing here and we and then we're able to weave in some of our our math and and science and other learning elements but that unstructured playtime is where they seem to have the most fun and uh uh, you know, all the neurocognitive research that, that one can read, it suggests that that's critical time. And, and most kids have none of it these days. Like they have no unstructured time throughout their days at, at this point. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And one of the reasons why I asked you about the mindset uh, thing, Rob, is just because, like I said, I, I try to watch my own health. Like I said, I don't drink no more. I used to be a smoker, all these different things. And what, what boggles my mind is, like, there's homeless people that I've known on the street that have been in the same place for, like, over 15 years, and in that time, they never eat healthy, they don't exercise, they don't go to the doctor, they don't do none of that stuff, and it's like they're still there in the same place. And it's like it really blows my mind where it's like, here I am, I'm, like, kind of fighting and struggling to take care of my health and all this, and then you've got people that just let it all go and they're still there. Like, that's the kind of stuff that really blows my mind away. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the way our, our whole medical system is set up, there's no way to incentivize good behavior currently. But the, this big risk assessment program that I'm, I'm trying to put together, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will have both a payer solution and a support network within that so that people that make a conscious decision to, to live a healthier lifestyle, not only will we be able to identify that with some really simple, inexpensive testing, but we're going to reward them for doing that because, you know, the, the current model is to just kind of jam a bunch of people into an insurance tranche and then hope that there's enough healthy people to unbalance the, the unhealthy people. But a recent uh, study by the National Institutes of Health suggests that fewer than 12% of Americans are metabolically healthy. So, they're, they're, wow. you know, our, our, uh, the Congressional Budget Office predicts that by 20, 2030, 2035, the U.S. will be bankrupt due to diabetes-related health care costs alone. Wow. And so, and, and, and when I mean bankrupt, like it, it, the, the people who actually get in and talk about this stuff, it's like, you know, economic collapse, Mad Max-type stuff. And so it's kind of no joke, and because I do have two kids, I'm highly motivated both for myself and for their future to try to get in and get out in front of this. But at the end of the day, all of this change starts with one person at a time. One, one person, one family makes a decision to live better. And I, I will say that the one uh, fatal mistake that people can do is to try to be perfectionists about this. If you just make any type of a move towards 
you know, a hunk of protein, some fruits and veggies, nuts and seeds as the cornerstone of, of your, your family's diet, and then you kick your heels up a little bit here and there, that is no big deal. That is going to move the needle in such a profound direction. You will look, feel, and perform better. Um, kids' behavior issues, if they're on a carbohydrate roller coaster where they go from high blood sugar to low blood sugar and you have an expectation of them behaving well, that's ridiculous. You're setting the poor kids up for failure because they're on a, a blood sugar roller coaster. I mean, all of us have been in that, like, hypoglycemic low blood sugar event. And because we're adults, we can kind of keep our stuff together. But kids don't have that, that capacity yet. And so if you want to set your kids up for success, feed them well, particularly breakfast. Like, it's cereal. And, I, again, I get it. Like, people are super busy, and it, it seems like it's just more and more expensive to do fewer and fewer things, but we've made conscious decisions to have less of a car, less of a house, less of a whole variety of things so that we have more time to be able to devote to our kids. Yeah, that's an awesome philosophy, Rob. And, and you've had so much success here with the book, and I know you got the podcast going on. What are your plans and goals here for the future for yourself here? You got another book coming out, or what's the plan? No, it's trying to develop this risk assessment platform, and our goal is by 2025 to move uh, 100 million people out of the sick care system. So there, there we go. Yeah, wow, that's incredible, Rob. All right, la- last thing I want to hit you with here, I'd love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? Um, completely recognize that your life is going to change and that your life is no longer about you. It's about your family. And you need to have your ducks in order. You need to deal with all of your inner child stuff. And and that doesn't mean that you never do anything for yourself again. Like I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I'm very passionate about it. I love doing spearfishing. I do things for myself. But whereas before you have kids, you have the luxury of being kind of a, a selfish, a self-centered bastard, and you no longer have that right or privilege. That's done. When you signed on to the parenting role, your children and your family are the number one thing, and you make sure that you do everything in accordance for supporting their best interests. And if you don't, you shouldn't have signed up for parenting. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. This has been an honor for me. i got to say, Rob Wolf, you're a first-class father all the way, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. Huge honor. Thank you. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. i got to give a special thank you once again to Rob Wolf for giving me a few minutes of his time here. It was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, and drop me that DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's podcast episode. I always love to read your feedback. Lock it in for tomorrow. We have a dad who holds the record for most kills on a single deployment to Afghanistan. Nick Irving will be joining me here tomorrow. Thursday, we got NFL Hall of Famer Ronnie Lott. And Frogman Friday is lit this week with Medal of Honor recipient Michael Thornton. All right, that's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thanks for tuning in. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers.